and Ziploc that Right on my waistline is why I kept that strap I remember nights, I didn't remember nights I damn near went crazy, I had to get it right Now I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper Hey, Now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper The absolute truth, yeah, no joke Mr. Jeezy, thank you as always. It's been a long time. We haven't had a chapter on quite some time. TC is not here. Usually this is when I say hello to TC, ask him how he's doing. Uh, but I am joined by three of my other good friends. To my left is DJ Pie. Across from me, Chris, Solly Solomon. And I'm staring in his eyes. The fellow strap boy, Neil Schuster. You're my hater. Randy. How are you, gentlemen? I'm doing great. Randy, always a pleasure to be here. Late night edition podcast. This is this is the way to do it. This is one we could only do after dark. Doesn't get much better than <laughs> looking into your deep dark soul. So today's uh, or, or this episode, I should say, is part of our Perfect Club series. Which, if you missed the first one, it was about airports. Today's subject matter is the documentary currently airing on Netflix. The 2004 documentary. Don't mislead that this is a new thing. Oh, there are probably multiple. Yeah, yeah and there yeah. could be multiple documentaries. The 2004 Metallica documentary entitled Some Kind of Monster, currently airing on Netflix. The documentary follows the band as they try to and eventually do record uh, a new album for them, which becomes the Saint Anger album. Yep. And it follows, you know, it just follows all their interactions and their interrelations and, and kind of uh, paints the guys in, well, in, in really a realistic light. Very. Yeah. For better or worse. So DJ is kind of going to be our point guard today, running the show. I'll uh, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, I've, I have been riding really hard uh, to do this episode for a long time because it's one of... Uh, this documentary is one of my absolute, I say this with no irony, it's one of my favorite pieces of American art ever produced. And I'm not saying that because I'm a huge Metallica fan. Not not really. I mean, I'm not a not fan, but I'm, I don't, Metallica I'm pretty indifferent to. And I, I feel like you guys are all pretty much in that same boat. Who would you say is the biggest Metallica fan at the table? It might be I me think it's now. Solid. It might, I it's solid. Now. Yeah. Yeah. I went solid. From, you were trying to bump it in the RV pretty hard. I went from like zero to like eight. I won't say a hundred, but I went from like zero to eighty. Like yeah. I, I knew a couple Metallica songs, knew they existed, but like that, the idea of, and we're gonna get into it, but learning about the way they go about making what you said, art is the key word. I yeah. think in all of this, uh, learning how they did it and watching them like interact with each other, it's it's like a nightmare, but like it's beautiful at the same time and. The, like trying to put a song together, there's no right or wrong answer. So like you, how do you get to completion? Because you can have an opinion on something. You're not right. I can have an opinion on something. I'm not right. Like it's art. Like there's not a right or wrong. So how you balance that with all the personality, like I'm fasc fascinated by it. So it made me like want to go listen to the music and I've gotten pretty hardcore into it. So now. I think the well, best part of it is that, that they, for some reason, you have this incredibly complex process, which is putting together an album. For some reason, they decided to invite two things into that process. One, a documentary film crew, and two, uh, a semi-full-time therapist. And they decide to film all of their interactions with the therapist. Uh, and basically, it's, it's part, I don't know if it's through the guise of them feeling like they need to be vulnerable in front of their fans, or if it's them 
like just being complete runaway egomaniacs that are obsessed with themselves and uh, feel like they can do no wrong. Either way, it is this horribly, at times horribly awkward, uh, incredibly human kind of thing to watch. And you should, I, we should say, like, if you haven't watched it and you're listening to this, just stop just and go it. watch it. You're, what are you doing? Yeah, it's going to, uh, it's going to greatly even, improve your experience. And even if two things, even if you are not a Metallica fan and don't know much about him, and even if you are one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is not a prereq to be a Metallica no, fan and, to watch and this. actually the, something that left me wanting was they would cut to old footage of Metallica and I and what I wanted was like, yo, the Metallica vibe at the concert was awesome. That was, like, and, that, and I didn't yeah. know I'm not a huge Metallica guy, so like I was like, they were the biggest band in the world, but I'm just I'm kind of new to this whole yeah Devil Horns thing, you know. <laughs> well, I was gonna ask, did you guys hook them? Who who here like owned any Metallica albums growing the, up? The the Symphony Orchestra, San Francisco S&M. Symphony, or, the S and M one, and that was because probably because of TC um, and Solid. I think you guys were into that in college. No? No. Just TC. I, I, just, no. TC. just TC. Rides we were yeah. hard we were, for the S&M album. Yeah. yeah. We, we were, used to listen to that growing up. Yeah. We were Josh Groban fans in college. <laughs> That's right. Me and TC. <laughs> so I had the black you, you guys I had, had the black, black album. album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel, you know, like, this is pretty representative. I think Sandman. I yeah. Mean, 50% of the country had had the black yeah, album, sure. I think. Well, I knew, you know, I yeah. knew who Metallica was. Right. I, I also saw, I remember seeing him on like, the VH1 countdown, like top fifty rock bands of all time. Right. It was like Metallica, the, like number three on the list is Metallica. It's like no, oh, you know, it's Hetfield. Yeah. <laughs> so I had the S and M, and I also had uh, re- reload, reload, not load, not reload. Load. They didn't sell you with load, but yeah. reload. You're like, yeah, I heard there's good stuff. On but there, it's man. not, it's not a history of the band, is my point. And most documentaries tend to be a history of the band. This is almost like. It seemed like a snapshot in time of where this band was at. Yeah. And the fact that they agreed to do this with how famous they were. It is it was mind a blowing. Bad decision. <laughs> well, I disagree with them, that. I would tell them to delete that. <laughs> I disagree with that strongly. But I would be I would cringe if I was then. Without a doubt. But it was good for us, bad for them. That's what point. I'm saying. Is like yes, that was totally agree. Sweet the, for us. Yeah, like the devil one, horns up. The one thing they did that wasn't self-serving within this was like, okay, like we look like shit in this, and the and we're going to get into kind of the timeline of it. But Hetfield going on like going to rehab for yeah. a long period of time gave them the break they needed to like, if we want to cancel this documentary, now is the time, and it almost happens. Yeah. But they and Hetfield watched it and he said, you know what? I saw I saw myself like be, I saw us being real. I saw that being real, and they could have, like, if like us being real in this kill house, I wouldn't want the video oh my out God, there. Absolutely not. But they released that, and yeah. like that was like that was awesome. I thought, and that made me interested in the art they created. Maybe that makes them, me in the minority, but like watching literal rock stars be that like torn down to their the nuts and bolts was fascinating to me. Did you lose any? I don't want to say respect, but like mysticism for the way the art was created when you saw how the sausage was made. 
And the example for being, sure, 100%. the example being the way they write songs. Oh my god, it's the most awkward thing in the like, history of the world. It was like my what was it? My my lifestyle, my lifestyle determines my death style. Determines my death style. And then see, so that, I think this brings that's good. This brings oh yeah, listen, that's sick. Listen, let's just declare. Like August twenty second is Saint Anger Day, <laughs> but well, like I think it should be named Frantic. It's like, well, no, man, like Saint Anger Day. Like, yeah. Well, so I think that's maybe the most interesting part about this is when they made this. So this was two thousand four when it came out. So I mean, you'll see when you watch it, or if you have watched it, you know, it took about two years to film this thing. So. By the time they started filming this, they were probably 37, 38 years old. And I think older than that, even. I mean, maybe. They... I mean, Hetfield's 55 now. Okay. So it was, you know, almost 15 years ago. And, uh, or over 15 years ago. Yeah. Oh, you're right. So he's, and so it's, yeah. so he was probably, you know, 38, 39. And this is, again, Metallica that we're talking about. So it's like <laughs> heavy metal is not really an old man's game. And so seeing aging men talk about the songwriting process of metal and talking about dumb at like i think this is one of my favorite things about this is that metal is no offense to anyone metal is inherently <laughs> somebody's just, about to get a why'd you look at me when you said that <laughs> metal is inherently like very dumb yeah right like it's it's pretty stupid it's pretty uh cheesy it's a, it's a lot of like you can't be that old and be into the devil horn stuff. You don't invite the retired guy to the headbangers ball. Exactly. And so seeing seeing those guys as, you know, aging metal stars yeah. and and going from, you know, their daughter's ballet class to then writing about like frame tick tick tick. Like it's like this is so weird. Like what a weird disconnect. So that's where like it just feels like Watching grown-ups do very little kid things and, yes. and taking it extremely seriously, which when it's that big of a business and you're the biggest metal band ever, the it writing, is a very of, the writing of lyrics being yes. that little kid thing. Yeah, like, God, that's how that's what that's how they came up with that. Yeah, but that to me again was also part of the fascinating struggle of like, are you watch them in the '80s and '90s, long ass hair, yes, and like drugs and sex and rock and roll, yeah, and like that's what I found so fascinating about Hetfield was like he looked in the mirror and he says this during it is like. You wake up every day with some stranger in your bed, and like it was so, it was the same thing yeah. every day. And your whole reputation, your whole art is based on this image of you doing these things. So, hundred percent, you either die, yeah. or you graduate, or you quit. Or, yeah. no, no, or you graduate to something else. Yeah. And to, so, watch like Hetfield go to rehab and become and not drink alcohol anymore, and go do the same thing. Yell and scream about the same thing. Yeah. The same songs you wrote yeah. when you were on drugs and yeah. drinking and doing all these things, and you got to scream them into a mic to a hardcore fan base, and also got to write new music about all the things you sing about. Also in front of a camera, and yeah. also your kids are now you have kids in like the, into this world that are going to see this. Also, Lars is in your ass yeah. all yeah. the time. So that's what was like. <laughs> all right, it's fucking stock. This was such a great key into like why bands break up. Ever? Yes. And oh like, my God. Why like, every band probably ever, should break up. Yeah. Ever. Forever. <laughs> yeah. And like the Be- fact that better to die the kid. Yeah, exactly. And not become the man. Exactly. But without like, knowing a ton about Metallica, like this was the deciding point, I think, in was like you could have died right here. Or and now it's twenty nineteen and they're still like like touring together and they the same band that was in some kind of monster exists today. And like that doesn't happen with yeah. a lot of bands. I'm not a big music guy, but 
Well, Dude, like that's not easy. It's yeah. also worth noting though that that's not easy, but it's a lot easier when you're printing money. All the money. But All that makes it harder yeah. sometimes, I think, because people well, fight over yeah. it. And well, you, true, but like, it, it sounded like these guys had a pretty ironclad like like when they when they like bring the, a, the new they bassist were, in, they're like, business. we're gonna Completely offer you a, a million dollar yeah. advance just to show you how serious we are. Like it was like he, nuts, like I won the, the lottery. They're um, paying the shrink forty k a month. <laughs> well, let's let's get into let's get into some specifics here. So uh, set the scene though. It's in San Francisco. It's all in which San is Francisco. probably part of like one of my favorite things. So we're gonna it's in go the Presidio. We'll go through a bit of kind of the uh, a bit of some of my favorite parts. The Rewatchables is a big. Uh, it's one of my favorite podcasts. So we're going to loosely borrow uh, some categories. It's on the Ringer Network from the Rewatchables uh, with with Bill Simmons and and the gang over there. So I want to start with uh, I want to start with and maybe we don't even have to answer all right away, but I want to do best quote first because I, I love throwing the quote out throughout. We can we can really work the quote over a couple times. Um, it's a tough one. I wrote down six nominees, and and I want you guys. Let's to, hear them. I want you guys to know. Yeah, uh, I want to know what you think. The first one. I just think it's fucking stock. <laughs> our our Lars. little friend Lars, which, our, which our, is, our Danish friend Lars, that we used to dig a hole in the ground and smoke hash out of. Well, the let's earth not with. let's Come not on. get ahead of Come ourselves. Come on, Neil. Sorry. Lars from Metallica. So I think it's fucking stock is. One of my favorite things ever when they're talking about this new song and they're showing like when you don't, you know, when you want to argue about whether it's good or not. And I, God, I, I have used that 100 times since watching this documentary. Which, yeah, we now use that when we're re- reviewing each other's but videos. The, the like, best, I think it's stock. I think no, it's the fucking best stock. part, though, is how he sets it up. He goes, okay, let me choose my words carefully here. <laughs> Which I love. They just fight all, all the time. All the time. Oh, they're and the that's, Bickersons. That's they, the, they that's the other thing though, about the whole couple. documentary is that they, they, you can tell what we're seeing on camera is like the almost the tamest. Well, yeah, exactly. Right? Well, like, they've this had, was as good as it could possibly look. Yeah. They had that exact argument before is exactly what right. I saw that. And I'm like, mm-hmm, let me choose my words carefully. It was like poking the bear of like, yeah, we've done this before. This sounds fucking stock. It's stock. And I hate it when you say that, like a normal drum beat. I know you hate it when I say that. And, and you got to appreciate too the other dynamic of they're a three person band at this point. Mm-hmm. Oh right. And so they're no, they're bassist. They've got that Bob Rock is. Well, no, well, but he's not a band member. We'll, we'll get into we'll get into all bass. that. We'll get into he, all that. He should be. Uh, so, okay. So, next so quote. Kirk though is just like the like he essentially just has to watch his parents fight all yeah. day, all the time. <laughs> yeah. Which which brings us to our next quote. Can I say something I think is bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> That's Kirk Hammett. Which is Kirk uh, when he's finally had enough and they've pushed him into enough corners and they're trying to now, they've taken pretty much all of his humanity away <laughs> and now they're going to take his guitar solos away. Yeah, it's like Milton in the office, right? Yeah, yeah, like he, yeah. he got They finally have theory. taken away his, his red like, stapler. Yeah, he's not a decision maker. Yeah. You know? And these guys are fighting about what the album needs to sound like. They're trying to invent, reinvent themselves every way possible. And they look at Kirk Hammett, pro- like not probably, definitely one of the best guitar players ever. And like, yeah, I just I don't think you should have guitar solos anymore. I think no, it's kind of dated. It's dated. You know, I'm, I was picturing something more like a rifferama. Rifferama. <laughs> <laughs> That's the drummer talking, which is the best part. It's like I was picturing more of a rifferama. <laughs> which can I, I can I say something no, I think is bullshit? Yeah, and but he waits for it. He kind of like yeah. nods along yeah. for a while, like, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm hearing you. And he like, just oh, hold bubbles on, can I over. Say I think is bullshit. Well, bullshit. <laughs> well, also, I hold on. I want to add a quote there, a Hammett quote that's related, which is. 
when Hetfield comes back from rehab and says like, yeah, I'm really, it's like a year later. He's like, yeah, I'm really having a tough time. Like feels like I'm kind of lost a little bit of control and like, I don't have a lot of decision-making power in this band anymore. And, and Hammett just looks, he's like, well, yeah, that's like kind of how I felt for the last 15 years. Yeah. And both <laughs> they don't Lars, even acknowledge it. Both, they both look at him and it's like, yeah, <laughs> and they just move on. And he's just like, dude, he's so, I got so that, he's steamy. I got that in my notes too. Kirk just keeps, he keeps getting chippier and chippier throughout the whole documentary, which is best. sick. And we'll, we'll talk more, much more about Kirk later. Next one. Well, can I ask a question first? Please. With, with Lars, I don't know a ton about music. I don't know any dynamics of bands better than I know about Metallica because of this documentary. Is it weird to have a drummer like Lars be that big of a front man or that big of a force behind the scenes? Let's yes. talk to our resident drummer. Yes, it is. Lars is like, he's famous because of the influence he has on the band. That's but well but he like started the band. He and James. He did, and that's yeah. why. But it's like, he's famous because he's he started, like, there's probably other drummers that have started bands. But he like it's a big it's a very Don a, he, Don Henley. He's a control right? freak, right? Yeah. Like the difference though is that Henley sings. Most drummers yeah. that get a lot of fame, they're either like virtuoso, like yeah. Neil Peart, or they sing. And Neil Peart's a good example too because he writes the lyrics, so he has an outsized influence that way. But Lars doesn't sing really, right? And he he writes the songs. I think the two things he does well is he's a control freak. Yeah. And he's like kind of a sociopath. He's and, got a high standard for Metallica. I'll give two, him that. When yeah. you listen to the way he drums, he's very um, his attention to detail is strong. I was right? gonna say, yeah, is he very he, tight? He's, he's very tight. And it's like it's not he's not the most talented drummer. That's what's going But he's ask. very um, he's almost like uh, Andre Miller, like the professor, the basketball player. You're like, God, like this guy's like not that fast or good like How's he keep beating me with this off-speed stuff, like this, like you know these floaters and stuff? That, that's kind of his his game. Okay, he's always reminded me of like an off-speed point guard. Maybe Tony Parker would even okay. be a good example. Uh, if you were to ask me as your advisor, I would say to delete that. <laughs> delete. What is that. his name? Torgen? Torgen, Tor- Tor- Torgen Ulrich, who is Lars's dad, who has a beard that's about three feet long. I would say he he probably weighs. 85 to 90 pounds. I'd say he looks like the Keebler elf and Gandalf <laughs> got the, like combined. He's wearing a hat that's like you if can the Keebler elf see just, his eyes. Just microdosed yeah. LSD for 40 years. It's, that would be Torgan Ulrich. And, and, and yeah, his hat's covered up his eyes. I would, I would, if I was the manager, I would tell you to delete that. And Lars is, it's the only time, the only reason I put this quote in there, it's the only time you see Lars get back down yeah. in the entire film. Because Lars is so nervous. He knows that what he's about to play sucks. Yeah. And this is when they're testing new music and they're they're trying to say, like, all right, we got like some first cuts of these tracks. Like, what do you guys think? And he plays it for his dad, and you can see on his face that he's like, Oh my god, he's gonna hate this. Like, please don't hate this. Please don't hate this. And his dad just goes, If you were to ask me, he kind of holds his water as before your, he does it though. He doesn't really respond. I would say to delete that. <laughs> And they're like, really? Like whoever like composed he, it or he told him to play it, they're like, said we should put it. Yeah, the they're first like, song. they think it's the first song. And he's like, he goes, I could be wrong, but I don't think that I am. <laughs> uh, next quote: <clears throat> It's so hard to watch everything you guys do turn to gold, and everything I do fucking backfire. Dave Mustaine, which comes from Dave Mustaine, a guitar Dave. former guitar player of Metallica, then guitar player of Megadeth. Which goes back to like all, this is all fucking dumb. Megadeth is yeah. the name, is the name of the band. Like 
It's well, it sounds fucking like stupid. Mustaine was just a guy that could shred. He's really good. With no, he's really cr- good, like, of course. But, but no, you know, it doesn't sound like it sounds pretty stock. It's very, well, and it sounded like you liked to party a little too much. <laughs> no, it sounded like he was a horrible drunk. I like, would the like the worst kind I, of drunk. I kind of was looking on, you know, after I was watching um, the documentary, like I wanted more insight on the what what what, what, say what he happened. Did. Well, because it was like he was out of the band and Hammett was in within a day, and that is it's probably the most famous part of the movie like the, the part that the most people reference or the part that had the most staying power was dave mustaine making a pretty brief appearance in this film and this is another reason we're like i don't know why all these people sat down and yeah. i don't know why anybody did this film and that's where i think it's such a treasure it's like whoever the, the filmmakers are the uh directors uh, joe Sanofsky. berlinger and Sanofsky. bruce sanofsky yeah, yeah and joe berlinger yeah uh they got these guys to sit down and like open up which is Insane. And so Dave Mustaine was the former guitar player in Metallica. The way they paint him in the film is that basically he just got completely hammer cocked all the time and was a just total debilitating drunk. And then they kicked on the him. European tour. They like Yeah. They they're like that it, clip of yeah. him where they're trying to get interviewed by the whatever and he's just screaming the F word on T V and it's sick. And so they <laughs> so they kick him out and they bring in Kirk Hammett and then the band just absolutely takes off after that. <laughs> Uh, which is w- the, the substance of this quote, which is, yeah. I, but it's Lars, it's wild. Hetfield's out in the desert somewhere yeah. finding himself. And Lars is like, he's lost. He's like, well, the, my band's breaking up. And he's so he, it's almost like he goes like to find closure. Yeah, he's like, so, oh, I got to go make it right with Mustaine. Exactly. And all Mustaine wants to do is just be like, no, like, you ruined my you life. You ruined my life. <laughs> you kicked like, me out of the best thing that ever happened in, to me. In broad daylight in the streets, they hate me because <laughs> of what you did. He's like in a trance. He's like, fuck you, Lars. And then he says, "The, I bet this is the next quote. Well, yeah, we'll get we'll get to the other one, yeah. Uh, we're going to skip to, uh, this is an underrated one, but it really makes me laugh. <laughs> Jason is the future Metallic is the past. <laughs> That's Lars. <laughs> Which That's is cool. Lars after in the, the club. Show. Yes. So Jason Newstead. That'd be my new favorite scene. Jason Newstead is this is the most ridiculous scene yeah. by far. Jason Newstead was the longtime bass player of Metallica. Who left the band because great, he great Billy Goat. He wanted to yeah, great goatee. He wanted to work on his side project, Echo Brain. Very lame. <laughs> but lame name, whatever music. Uh, and so he wanted to work on this as a side project. James was like, no, you can't split your time. You have to have a hundred percent of your time on Metallica. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so Jason said, fuck this. Like I'm going to, I'm echo brains where I need to be. It's where I'm going to grow as a musician. Yeah. All you guys have changed. Well, another man. good, another good point yeah. though. Another good quote though was these guys have all like, you know, had children and moved on with their lives, but you know what? Music is my children. <laughs> Sick, dude. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Hey, Jay, chill. So Echo Brain I, starts to get a little well, heat. They I was going to say, the, the tipping point for Newstead was when they hired Phil, the therapist. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Yes. That, well that put him over the edge. He, he said, oh, that's probably true. Their, deci- their decision to hire Phil, the therapist, he said was, quote, really fucking lame <laughs> and weak. <laughs> <laughs> Which I almost put in here. So Echo Brain starts catching, like, getting a little heat. They're playing some, like, club shows in San Francisco and stuff. 
So Lars and Kirk and Bob Rock, who we haven't really talked about, who's kind of the super producer of the group. He's basically like the fill-in as they don't have a bass player. He's like producing slash playing bass. He's DJ Pie. <laughs> He's, oh, yeah. What an honor. Well, that's very <laughs> cool of you to say that. Uh, but they decide, you know what would be cool is we should take our entire film crew. We should go to Jason's show without telling him that we're going to be there. And we'll just like, we'll get him on camera. It'll be sick. And, and Jason... They- He's like no, and he just he, he doesn't show up. The best part he... is they have the one camera angle of like Kurt and Lars. They're like three people back from like the edge of the stage, but kind of like stage left. So like you know when they're just like staring up at the stage, and you're like, God, that must well, be weird for me. And they talk to him like those guys don't really know the venue they're going to either. Yeah. They're like, I thought it was just going to be like Newstead playing in front of like ten drunks in a bar. It's yeah, like there's like proper, people here. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's this proper club. But it's like, also oh like, why God, would, what, there are people here? What, would they, what do they expect? It's he's got a name. He's like the bass player of Metallica. Right. right? Exactly. Like, of course he's going to have well, an audience. What, yeah. Who like the best part of that like... scene though is afterwards they're all butthurt because <laughs> Newstead stands him up and his two fanboy band members are like yo it's so nice to meet you guys and they're like well, where's where's jason he's like oh i think he like dipped out yeah i don't know like so, I think maybe he like maybe like left that's that's an awesome exchange but the better one is they're sitting at the table and like so they're all like really feeling yeah. sorry for themselves the lights are on in the club they're like cleaning the stage up and bob rock's like oh that's so-and-so from the studio and like Lars is like from our studio he's like yeah yeah that guy works like with us like every day he's like <laughs> I never, like, no, I've never seen him. I've never seen him. And then he's like, oh, well, that guy too. And he's like, like, they're like, hey, Steve, Steve. It's, it's basically like your classic, like, you know, executive who like doesn't know anyone on his team. You know what I mean? It's like made that made Lars look worse than anything else in the movie. So they're all saying a lot. They're all feeling super butthurt. And they're they're sitting in this club, which there's probably 500 people, you know, at this concert. It's hard to tell from the video, but maybe five at the most, you know, 750 or something. And. Lars Ulrich, one of the most famous musicians of all time. Uh, again, drummer for fucking Metallica. It's just <laughs> Jason's the future, Metallica's the past. <laughs> as ridiculous as it is, you got. I think like the perspective on where they were is is important here because like I think at this point Hetfield's probably in rehab for like what nine months or something like that. Yeah, uh, like the <laughs> band hasn't done shit for yeah, totally. Like, a long period of time and they're just sitting around idly waiting and, like are we ever going to be a band again and like watching one of their guys move on as shitty as it was had to be just like I mean I mean as much as we don't want to admit it sometimes we'll look around and be like oh they did this like fuck we should totally. do it it's like yeah yeah oh well I, I mean we have other things going on we these guys had nothing going on I think nothing I think it's just so hard I, I think you're right and I I don't doubt the sincerity that you know he's probably feeling like baby time has passed him by but it's so hard to root for Lars in anything. Like, oh, yeah. And yeah, so it's sure. just everything he says. It's just like, fuck you, man. Yeah. Fuck you. Like, it's that's like, not. That's if, not. If the band broke up, he would probably still sell his artwork for right. $12 Which, billion. Dollars. Of course, we're going to get to the artwork. Because the <laughs> art scene, each as I'm going through these, I'm, each one, I'm like, oh, no, that's the most ridiculous scene. And Lars getting shit-faced at the art sale. At the, at the Sotheby's <laughs> auction yes. is like such a meeting of, like, it's a smashing of worlds. All right, last That's quote. Awesome. Last quote. This took way longer than I thought I was going to. I never get to talk to my little Danish friend again. <laughs> I remember the. I remember the day you and I talked about digging a hole and smoking hash through the earth. Dave Mustaine. That's Dave Mustaine. Mustaine. It's just Dave Mustaine being very upset that uh, he doesn't get to just every time he has to talk to Lars, he's talking to Lars from Metallica. He doesn't get to talk to his little Danish buddy, who apparently. 
I was <laughs> into that. turning the, you know? the world into paraphernalia. Yeah, fame which, changes people for sure. You know, Seems which again, it's just the pure absurdity of of that line is is really where it. That scene to me is like, me. all right, dude, Headfield's been gone for a long time. What are we doing for this film right now? Like, you think we can get Mustaine in here? <laughs> yeah, Lars, will you will you talk to him on camera? And he please? said yes, and I don't know why. Like. I, so I guess that's. Well, I, I guess it's he, two no, times that Lars got back gives, down. He gives it uh, a little bit of color. He's like, "This is only one half of the conversation I needed to have." There's somebody else missing from this. Exactly. Room. Yeah. Now I want to add a quote that you missed that is very relevant to this audience that would be listening to the trap draw, which okay. is uh, when Hetfield goes instead of going <laughs> to his son Caster's first birthday, he decides to go on a whim on a two-week hunting trip in Siberia to kill bears. And he said, I, I had, you know, I, ha- I had to miss Caster's first birthday. He's like, you know, I, I had, had to miss Caster's first But, you know, and, and it's unavoidable. He's like, that's the most I've ever missed my family. But, you know, well, of course, we had some, on, his, on Caster's first birthday, we had some waka. And, you know, we cheers to Caster. <laughs> and so now... Uh, for like a year now. For the, like, this is like a stuff. layered joke, but anytime you, I hit a big fade or big right miss and, it, and the wind is blowing left to right, it's like riding the lightning. So it's riding the wind. It's just, it's a cheers to caster cheers. ball. It's a caster ball. It's a caster five iron. It's a caster. That's a, I think it's a caster five. Cheers All right. to caster. So we're going to take a quick break. You've uh, been listening to us drone on and on about this. Uh, we're kind of shooting from the hip. We don't really know what we're talking about when it comes to... Uh, the inner workings of a musician's life. Luckily, we do know someone who can speak to this a little bit more. Uh, Micah Pushell, you might know him as Push Daddy. Uh, you might know him from season two of Tourist Sauce, uh, Kia Classic video, the Callaway video. He kind of pops up. He's in more of our stuff than Neil is, really. So, uh, <laughs> Push, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm spectacular. Thank you for jumping on. Um, let me just start with, uh, would you ever allow your band to be filmed in this way? Um, yeah, but I mean, we're not, we're not like this dysfunctional. So, uh, I don't think we, we, nobody, nobody's going to rehab. Nobody's, you know, the egos aren't quite on this level and the money's not on that level either. But I mean, and the fame isn't on that level, but obviously, uh, these guys are, are, are on a different plane of existence, I think, than we are. I was going to say, Lord willing, uh, it gets that dysfunctional. That means things are going pretty well. <laughs> Maybe in like 2009, it was that dysfunctional, but we were in a van and there was a lot of drinking and, you know. So I think this, this movie was one of the first things you and I uh, really bonded over. So just talk to me. What, what's your relationship with, with this film and also with uh, Metallica? Okay, so Metallica um, is a band that we, we had a member in our band, um, Catelyn Peterson, who is Kaysen, our keyboards player's older brother, who is a massive Metallica fan. So when we were taking turns driving our tour van and being DJs. He would always have the Metallica playing. And I was always kind of a low-key Metallica fan. Just growing up, you know, uh, at the time when Metallica was kind of at their peak and, um, you know, going through the release of the Black Album and seeing how big they got at that, at that section of time. Um, so I've always been like kind of a low-key Metallica fan. And when this movie came out, we, we all watched it as a band. And it blew our minds, <laughs> to say the least. I think just like the amount of of uh, you know inside footage and 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 kind of um, openness that they were they they gave to the to the filmmakers was like something that I'd never really seen. We none of us had really seen before in a music doc. Um, and it was actually kind of it wasn't even really a music doc at that point. It became more of like a like a really in depth 
kind of film about them more than it actually is about the, the, the album when he kind of comes down to it. I mean, right. there's like bits and pieces of music, but it's like really that those the, the, the most forgettable parts of the, the entire documentary are kind of the musical parts and it ends up being more of the interesting parts are when they're just like sitting, eating like salmon and talking to each other about their feelings. <laughs> uh, you guys must have had... I don't know if I even mentioned this, but you're the the singer and front man for the band Iration. If people don't know, uh, right. you, what's the worst kind of like blowups you guys have? Do you guys ever fight like this? Is it all pretty chill all the time? What's what's that? Like? Not, I mean, we've had we definitely had some blowups. I mean, it, I think that's just in general. It's like when you're in the early days, like I said, we were drinking a lot, so there'd be like you know guys would fall asleep in the van and lock the doors and somebody would be like banging on the back door and we're standing outside of the rain and we can't get inside or you know somebody disappears and you can't find them and we have to drive to like to like modesto from arizona or something like that and you're you know just those kind of like situations that they're very they're petty you know yeah. when you look back at them they're actually kind of funny and um they're you know so, uh, some not really ever very physical, like the occasional physical altercation, but nothing crazy. I was gonna say the um, uh, you locked the keys in the van is a lot different than you've creatively stifled me for seventeen years. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know you unless we drink forty two beers together. <laughs> Alone. Uh, so, as as a musician, what's what's the tough of what's the toughest part of this movie for you to watch, and then what's also kind of like the coolest part or the coolest you know behind the scenes thing you see? I think. I think it's the, the, the really hard part is, is just kind of seeing them kind of just finally have to open up to each other after like after years of, of being around each other in this kind of bubble. And they're kind of they're kind of seeing this part where Lars has become this, you know, en- public enemy number one from the Napster lawsuit. Right. And they're kind of there's a little, so to speak, like a chink in the armor, you know, where they're they're becoming this like. Um, kind of invincible, massive band that now people are starting to turn against, and there's there, there's weaknesses in the band. You know, uh, James going James is going to rehab. Uh, everyone's kind of going their own. They're, they're they're so big and they're so rich and they're so you know, like they're all in, going in different directions. And I think that's just like with any band, it's like you get older. You've been together for so long, and you see, band, you know, people have their own, develop their own lives, and it's like, you know, the band almost becomes like the second priority, as opposed to, you know, your family becomes like the number one priority. You know, your personal life kind of starts to, to, to get bigger, and it's like, I think just watching the them struggle with that, it's like watching any any kind of like band struggle. It's always like a, a bit uncomfortable, right? What about even on the flip side of that? I mean, was there anything, you know, you saw in here and, and you're kind of like, man, that's that's cool to see another band go through that or I've never thought about doing it that way or anything like that? Well, like Lars's nipple ring, that made <laughs> me feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think the one thing is like the, I think what I notice is them really searching for inspiration. And it's like something that I've kind of like gone through as a songwriter and it's like, you know they're doing these radio these radio liners Those for, are tough. for the radio stations yeah. and they're, they're they're struggling with it and and then they turn it into this like wash your back so you won't stab mine <laughs> lyric that they like try to force into a song and it's just obvious that they're they're all just in the studio they've been in the studio for like over a year trying to trying to develop this this record and they're searching for any sort of inspiration for a song and like any any way that they can you know and even trying to force these like 
this scenario where they're uncomfortable doing radio liners into turning it into a line in the fall. Yeah, like a life or death type of uh, inspiration. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're you know they're they're blowing it up essentially. What's uh what's your favorite part of this movie? There's, well, I'm sure you guys I'm sure you guys have already talked about some of the the key moments, which is you know. Torben Ulrich and being in Ulrich being in, in the studio and just saying delete that you know he's like if I was your advisor I would just say delete that I think that's as good as it gets from here yeah it, it's it's the top it's one of the most it's one of the most peak moments in music doc history I think that and and Lars saying you know just sounds stock to my ears I think for years after that like when we were in the studio like Right after that, we were we got we jumped in the studio and we were we're working with um, a guy named Lincoln Parrish who's in the band Cage the Elephant, and we were recording our album and it was just like the the line of the t- entire like process was just like I don't know it just sounds it just sounds stock to my ears. I, it's like somebody would play something and even if it wasn't like we just just kiddingly just jump in the mic and be like I don't know man that just sounds kind of stock. I think it's fucking stock. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and just Kirk, you know, Kirk is the best. I think Kirk Kirk walks away as well. That was going to be my last question for you: is who who's the MVP of this thing? And for me, it's I, I don't know. I guess it kind of depends on the definition. We'll we'll get into it with uh, Solly and Neil and and Randy later in the episode here. But who who takes home your MVP award? I mean, I'm gonna say, I mean, somebody's gonna. It's ob- for me. It's it's obviously either Torben Ulrich. <laughs> <laughs> or or Kirk or Kirk, yeah. And but just because Kirk's awesome, why, why do you think a nice that? guy, you know? And you can just tell. Yeah, flesh like, that out I for me a little bit. Some what? of my favorite quotes. He's yeah, like it's just real confusing sounding, <laughs> 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 like stuff like that. And then I actually read this like article about it. It said that um, Kirk had a 40th birthday party while it, while they were in the uh, in the studio, and nobody told Lars about it. And so <laughs> there's a scene in the movie where they're all they're all wearing. Uh, Aloha shirts, like Hawaiian shirts, yeah. and Lars is like is in a bad mood, and he's wearing like a tank top. And I guess like nobody told Lars about it, and he showed up and got like so angry, so angry that they had like were throwing this Aloha shirt at the Hawaiian party. Oh my god! And then he went in another room and like ate his plate of food in silence. And he said, "And there's a quote, and he's like, nobody throws me a birthday party. Life is an eternal birthday party for someone else. Life is a limp." Life is a limp dick with an occasional blowjob. That's the most That's punchable, the punchable thing I've ever heard. <laughs> he just comes off as such an asshole in the he, movie. He really does. It doesn't sound like that was uh, selective editing. I think that's. Uh, no. I think that's good editing. That that yeah. from all all accounts you can possibly hear. I think it's it, he came off pretty uh, pretty true to life. But I, I posted a posted a clip on my Instagram story, and some some guy, random guy, just just. DM, DM'd me a comment and was just like, Lars is an asshole. <laughs> so, I mean, that sums it up. Yeah, we've had some people slide into the DM since we announced we were doing this episode with, with more and more stories. Hard to verify a lot of them, but uh, none of them are good. None of them are like, man, Lars gets no. a bad rap. He's actually, he, he came and, and took care of my grandma one time. It's uh, <laughs> it's all pretty much the opposite of that. All right, yeah, Poosh. Well, we'll uh, we'll let you get out of here. Thanks for uh, thanks for the info and the inside uh, the inside look. And uh, yeah, I mean, if I was you, I, w- I would say to delete that probably. Well, don't. Hopefully, you don't delete this. <laughs> it actually makes it into the episode. <laughs> All right, man. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Take care. Bye. So let's get into the actual structure of this thing and and what actually happens, the chronology of of this beautiful story. Yeah. So it starts. 
with all the empty all the all the MTV news uh, breaks. First of all, feel hilariously very, dated. Very, very on. Those are great. Those are great transitions. Yeah. Well, which I mean, how much I I knew nothing about their their history leading up into it. And again, I don't think it's prereq. But how much do we want to cover any of what? Like, I didn't know they were the number one metal band in the world. Like, I just didn't know that fact. I mean, they're a, a huge, huge, huge deal. Well, this we kind of mentioned this up front. I don't know if we, li- you know, spelled it out like this, but the doc is kind of hoping that you know a lot more about Metallica than they're going to tell you. You know, so it's not like a, they were born here and then they did this and this is how it formed. No, it's yeah. expecting you to know the entire story, which is why it starts which is why it's sweet. with Jason Newstead quitting. That's the first thing that happens yeah. is... Yeah, they, it's an MTV news break, and they're Jason basis. Jason Newstead is blah 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 to go work with <laughs> Echo Brain. He's the future. <laughs> yeah, he's the future. Metallica's the past. So from there, they're trying to keep their band together. So they hire, uh, they hire therapist Philip Towel Towley Towel. I don't know. T O W L E. I would say Towel Towel. Phil's a menace. Who is? How would you sum up? How would you sum up the therapist? He um. is. He's a like walking jargon. Yeah, I was gonna say like just words. He's a, he, just, yeah, he's a walking like yeah cliche. Like, when, whenever you, need... he's a walking inspirational quote. So he's like a he seems like he just got scooped straight off like Martha's Vineyard, uh, Cosby sweater, tall lanky, it's like, and, it, and it's clear that the, dad, the recording basically. studio, yeah. like whoever the you know big money, like whether it's Capital or whoever, was like this is our guy. Like he's you know he solved. We bro- he solved we, yeah. a lot of, yeah. of a lot of like he's like, our whisperer. So he's, this, our he's like whisperer. yeah, he's like a athlete and kind of like executive therapist basically. Where it's like you guys, you gigantic money people are not getting along. Like let's work through it. Really, really, really good at asking open ended questions. So Lars, so they're in their first therapy session, and Lars poses the question, which is right at the core of the entire movie and why you really can't take anything in this thing too seriously, in my opinion, which is, uh, will the intimacy, will our intimacy kind of be lost with the cameras in here? Which is like, yeah, of course it will. Dude, of course it will. Like you guys are (laughs) always performing for the cameras. This entire thing, like you can't really take anything seriously that's going on. And Phil responds with, are you guys willing to risk being seen by other people? Meaning both, the band and the audience. So I like that. <clears throat> Feels like one of those, you know, did you ever have those calendars where it was like a joke a day or a word a day <laughs> that you just kind of like ripped off? Feels just like a, like, uh, you know, like pseudo Zen. But he's also the towards the end and watching it a second time. I've seen it twice now was he's like really manipulative. For like when sure. when oh, Hetfield's sure. like when he can tell when, like, when the guns, guns turn like, on him, which he's we'll like, get there, yeah, I'm he's sure. like, well, he, well, he's almost like, well, hey, James, I mean, like, you've got a lot of fucking problems. You why need we, me. Why don't we? It's like Stockholm you? syndrome a little bit. Um, so from there, they're they're ready to make more music, so they rent out the entire Presidio. Now they're, they're, they're the like, uh, the big building at the Presidio. There's right? a bunch of them, but I, okay. I, I like they. I've never been there. So no, it's like an old army base. Okay, so there's like, but they basically rent out an old barracks. So I don't know what I couldn't tell what part it was, but it was like, it was an awesome setting, which but is like everything they do costs like tons of money. Which is funny because then the quote is, uh, "They want to keep it really Spartan and yeah. uncomfortable." Yeah, and then they cut immediately to James being pulled over that weird 
like like <laughs> half a million dollar hot rod yeah. that he's driving with no throwing devil throwing horns devil to like horns the grandma him. and the minivan next to him. He's like, yeah. Um, then we see them. Oh, no, can I just say, James says he like to get away. He's like, man, being a celebrity is just so hard. yes. That's what it is. It's so being tough. a famous person is just yeah, weird. Like, it's just weird, man. Like you just got to be on, and people always see you. So like, you know what I like to do. Like sometimes I just like to like feel the wind against me. He's riding this like it couldn't be a more like look at me car. <laughs> like you're not hiding from anybody. You are seeking attention in this car. Which he does admit that. He's like, Well, yeah, yeah this is a showpiece. I mean, like clearly this is a showpiece. Uh so then we get into the writing process. We see a lot of uh they're experimenting with like that group w- writing. The group writing, but then also that weird guitar thing. It's like a uh it's like the it almost looks like an electric toothbrush, but yeah. it's not. And they're like rubbing it against the strings. And then just I only bring that up because there's a real quick cut to Kirk. You see him buffing his fingernails <laughs> <laughs> with that thing when he's not playing it with the guitar. Uh, I, I will say the the collaboration piece, I think, is very interesting. I think it's maybe the most profound part of the documentary. Yeah, totally. In that the way it seems like the way they always operated was james yeah james would always kind of just write the songs and then he'd more or less lost the inspo well no he would more or less like come in and be like okay here's the song here's how we're gonna play it cool like we'll sell millions of records and that's great and lars and kirk obviously kind of just started to resent they weren't involved as much in the creative process i I think that so Lars now they want to be like a that. group writing exercise. And, and James is like, you know, like sometimes when you had to form up groups in high school or college, and especially if you if you knew what was going on, it's like, okay, like I just know the answer. Like, let me just go do this. But instead you got to like put up with yeah. the couple other people in your group who like don't really know and like have like the worst ideas. And you just got to like play along. Like that's the vibe James throws off the whole time to me. But it's then like, when he goes totally. sober, like, this he, sucks. Like, then, like I have lost, to, I have to entertain this. That's well, why they went to the group writing thing because he says like half, like somewhat early on, he's like, "Yeah, dude, I just don't really have it right now." Like, and we need to put this new album out, and I don't really have anything new to say because oh, i kind of miss that then i, I thought like, it was more asked, like lars and kirk pushing to go more group no because lars is drawing like stick figures he's like yeah i wasn't really paying attention well i think that the whole presidio part is just like extremely hostile like james it's clear that he doesn't he does not want the cameras in there yeah which is completely checked out he's yeah and so it's always it's that's really well said where it's like he's just going through the motions and it's you can tell that Lars and the producers and everyone are like, hey, so like, tell us what's on your mind. And he's just like, God, why is this anybody's business? Like, why don't we just make a fucking record? Why are we you doing I was this? in a bad mood. Yeah. So those guys, they, they all... Fucking picking at me all day. <laughs> <laughs> so they all get, you know, they're at each other's throats for the whole first, whatever, 15 minutes in the movie. And then we find out James... He's going through some substance abuse issues, and he drops out and goes to into addiction treatment or, or you know, rehab, rehab. Uh, which far and away is the most touching, you know, sentimental part of the movie because that's when you actually do see these guys as kind of human beings for at, at least a little while, where you know they're not faking their affection for James and their worry for James and and all of that stuff. So that's the the only part of this thing where I'm kind of like, oh gosh, these guys are. You know, these guys really, they mean something to each other, which I, which is nice. Well, 
along that along those lines, and I think you we, you and I have talked about it too, Deej, is like the you, you walked away with them feeling like these guys are, the, are douchebags, like in in general. And I I get where you're coming from there, but I looked at it totally different in that. There were bands since like what 1981, so this is 22 ish years of them into yeah. them being a band. So, like, how your your shift your your paradigm shifts so far? How can you be a normal human? You know what totally. I mean? So yeah, yeah. Individually, they're all these huge stars. Like you are a rock star forever, for sure. So how do you go into a room where you are on like a level playing field with these? Your ego has to just get to an unbelievable level. Oh, totally. That's the only way I see that going while you try to create music is butting of heads because you your your head gets so inflated and I don't want to say justifiably so but like society has justified everything you've become every single night you go on stage they scream your name they yell they flash their tits at you and like you become this thing that how do you ever turn that off that's 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 what I oh, saw no I, I'm totally with you okay I think he'd crash and burn. That's inevitable. Right. Like you, you go have to. That's like that's the thing with like do no, you, so you either then you just can't do any of it. It's so like now we can't play no more. So <laughs> so while he's in rehab, like we mentioned earlier, they're basically trying to figure out how to keep the band and to a lesser extent this movie on the rails, which is where they invent. Cool. Let's get Dave Mustaine in here for a little while. Uh, let's go to Jason Newstead's show. Let's go to Lars's ranch, and yeah. that's another quick thing that I want to talk touch on, which is. Or, sorry, not Lars. Kirk's. Kirk's. Let's go to Kirk's Ranch, which is... Kirk is far and away my favorite member of the band. Uh, and, but it just seems like he's running such a... He's just running such the the rich guy playbook where it's like, okay, Kirk, you have all the money. And there's a couple people in his ear who are like, you know what rich people do? You should buy land. You should buy a ranch. And you, you have like this shot of him on a horse with a cowboy hat on. And it's maybe he absolutely loves it, but what comes through to me is just like, yeah, I don't know, man. Like somebody told me to buy this ranch, and now when I'm stressed, I come out here and like, yeah, I think it helps. Like, <laughs> I think it's just like me. sit on this rock and kind of think about stuff, <laughs> just right? Think about the next Riffarama we put yeah. together. So it's that and surfing, which is you know the other kind of cliche you hear from a lot of middle aged you know midlife crisis guys is like oh dude i just started surfing man it just changed shout out to big randy shout out to big randy you you can't you know so the best part watching the movie i was watching it with randy last night and dj i've been laughing about how shitty of a surfer kirk hammond is (laughs) randy just without me saying a word was like god if i could surf like that by the end of the summer i'm so happy (laughs) which yeah and surf i can't surf at all at all the best comment but (laughs) <laughs> cutting cutting to you know from like surfing saved my life man like you can't you know you can't surf if you're hungover you can't it quit got yeah. me stop drinking and, and all that stuff is of course totally valid but then they just did him kind of dirty because they cut to this whole montage of him just Come, getting, getting get fucking really, duffed by yeah. all these waves <laughs> so he's so sketchy he's like get oh my. it's like the guy that's like oh yeah. i got up like how many waves you get up on and that's where i think the filmmakers had such a sense of humor about a lot of these cuts like they they have some i can you imagine imagine after everything you just said Sally, which is completely valid now imagine having to work with those guys every day as someone who doesn't have that ego and doesn't have you know it's like imagine just being with lars all the time for like two straight years and just trying to work with him and just trying to get him to cooperate so eventually james gets right he cleans up gets sober comes back to the band there's a very hostile scene where he like first introduces, you know, he like walks into the band and they're all like, oh my God, I can't wait to see him. It's been like a year and he's 
immediately, of course, like, why the fuck are, like, why are we filming this? Yeah. Like, I, guys, like, this isn't a joke. Like, I just got back from rehab. <laughs> like, I don't care about <laughs> no, the, not. I really don't care and about the movie. Kinda, like, you have to read between the lines to see the tension because they're like, yeah, we're just trying to decide if we want the cameras around. So and one, he's like, I don't want the cameras around. <laughs> one thing, their first conversation back after James gets back from basically alcohol rehab. Lars cracks beer during that conversation, which I thought was ex- very small, but very like. <laughs> That's like Lars in a nutshell. Exactly. Though. Yeah. Which is like, what? What? Oh. Oh, we can't do that? Like, oh, okay. Which so, is that, but this is the deciding point of the whole thing. Yes. Because so they're deciding whether they, want, whether they want to continue making the movie, basically. Like, they're going to keep making the record because I think they've yeah. promised the record company, but they, they're deciding whether they want to keep making the movie. Ultimately, James very reluctantly is like, "Okay, if the, like you know, if this is important to you guys, I guess we'll do it." And then he lays out his new plan for. And by the way, the therapist is there for all for all yeah. of this as well. I can't stress enough that this awkward dad therapist is also there with Metallica, and of course Bob Rock, and of course super the producer, producer producer Bob Rock is also there. Is that could that be his real name? Is that actually his real name? Bob Rock. Bob Rock like produces <laughs> rock, heavy guys, metal rock. We'll have, get, menace. we'll have to get the research department okay. on that. James announces a couple new rules. He can only work from noon to four, <laughs> which is sick. And also he says he would really appreciate it if no one else worked before noon or after four. Because he feels like everybody gets a bunch of shit done when he's not there. And then he comes in to an environment decisions. where they've already made the yeah. decision. Which is the biggest control freak move yeah. probably of the whole the whole movie. Which ends up turning into to kind of an issue. However... But like, would you just like let Lars run wild while you're not working? Like, that's the point. I think it's not like no, of course it's not. Yeah. If it was like Bob Rock and Kirk, they're writing music. I don't think he'd be like, you can't do that. I think he's like, no. If I if I don't stop this now, Lars is gonna have frantic one be the name of the album, <laughs> and yeah. and this is gonna get very out of control very quickly. So I, I see where he's coming. So from there's there. a bunch of a bunch of chaotic moments that happen. Uh, James storms out and he goes straight to his daughter's like uh, ballet class, which is a pretty sweet juxtaposition. It kind of shows you where we're at in the the life. They've almost, liter- literally which, moved to the suburbs which at this that's point. That's exactly what I was gonna say. It had a very suburban feel to it. Yeah, and and I think that the the child point is a, is a good one just to reinforce. Like Lars has a family. Yeah. Hetfield has a family. Lars's kid is a menace. Yeah, the kid that's running around with the drum set yeah. the whole time. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his. And again, these these guys are trying to make the most angry, like speed metal, <laughs> you know, yeah. aggressive yeah. devil horns. And and the, they don't really touch enough on the Napster shit that was going on right during this time either. They briefly touch on. Yeah, yeah Lars basically changed the entire music industry at this point as well. During the making of this documentary, because like pissed a bunch of people off, pissed all, everybody off, all his fans. All, yeah. The sweepstakes were over. Basically, like <laughs> yeah. you can't download my music for free. Yeah. So, all right. So everything kind of comes to a head again at post post uh, rehab, because James is basically becoming a control freak. Lars has this great speech. You're just so self-absorbed. Yeah, which I thought actually was a good speech. You control by the rules you set. No, you control like, by your yeah. absence, even when you're not here. Yeah. And he, that's the part where Lars just keeps yelling, fuck. He and it's like, <laughs> what he says that he's like, I went on a jog the other day, and I just keep thinking of the word fuck. <laughs> and he I just, just starts wanna, yelling it. I just want to say it. And which, he, which he is just prob- right in his face at the end. Which fuck. Is, which is probably the most like performative 
part of the whole movie yeah. where it's like, okay, you know what? You know what I think is going to look really sick on camera is if I just have this big fuck montage. I think that's going to be really sweet. Yeah. And he just, yeah, like the way the shots framed and everything, it's, and he's, it is large just to like acting. And, and I think, Neil, you said he's the most aggressive gum chewer. Oh my God, he <laughs> chews his gum. He's like, uh, he's like uh, John Fox, the NFL coach, the way he chews his gum. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, Lars is pretty much like running rampant at this point. This is like his descent into childishness. He's like not paying attention during the therapy sessions. There's that weird scene where he's spitting the, all the beer out, which is he's just like spitting beer across the but room. But here's where, but what talking shit like is, behind everyone's back, just like trying to get everyone all riled up. Like any, like any good pair, it's like they're he and James are like butting heads. They're at odds. He's yelling "fuck" in James's face, but then. They find a common nemesis in Phil, <laughs> and they like come together, and well, they like find unite a... to like get Be- rid of him. Before that happens, they find a couple common nemesises. Nemesis, nemesis, nemesis. Nemesis. The first one is the radio promos. Yeah, when, yeah. <laughs> when yeah. their agent signs them up for like the, hey, this is Lars from Metallica, and listen to ninety-seven point whatever, and you could have a chance to win this. And they hate doing that, and like there's this whole great scene on uh when they're when they're doing the promos and bob rock finally steps up and he's like hey that was that was really hard for me to see to watch you guys doing that i can't I, like, can I you can't... imagine bono or the edge having to do this <laughs> <laughs> which is which is great and then uh during all of this the, oh, oh and then they're on they're on the call with the agent Cliff, shut that. off Cl- Cliff. Cliff. Bernstein, I yeah. believe. <laughs> They're on, that guy fucks. That guy is, yes, the best. They're on the call with him, and, and Lars, they're like bitching about how they don't want to do these radio promos. And Lars is holding that huge steak knife. I don't know if you guys know yeah. <laughs> if you guys notice that or not, but it just yeah. kind of speaks again to Lars's hostility in, in all areas. Then there's a gratuitous jet ski scene for no reason. It just it's just them. Whipping around like Francisco Bay, <laughs> San Francisco Bay on these jet skis. Don't explain why. They don't explain how well, it was. One of them falls, and then they cut the scene, yeah, which that's, is awesome. That's it. Which again is like I think they were just filming this for like two years, and they're like, "Yeah, like, we got to film something, man." Yeah, I mean, we've just been sitting around. We're not doing anything. Like, we, what if we went on jet skis? Yeah, I, I don't know. Let's try it. And so they do. Anyways, um, then Phil really becomes like Phil becomes the nemesis after that, and it's basically. He starts really going hard on the platitudes and just like throwing out kind of like the cliches and they finally start to reject them. There's one I wrote down. It's a sin if you don't celebrate each other. And that whole speech is really good. And then he starts leaving those signs. Sticky notes. He starts leaving the sticky notes all around the studio. What was the quote? It's like be. It was, I think, zone in. Zone Zone in. in. Yeah. It was all about like getting in flow. (laughs) And they were like, dude, fuck this guy. And so... Also, I remember at, the, at this part, uh, Phil starts wearing his sunglasses inside. Like so, the, the yeah. and he also starts writing lyrics. <laughs> well, and I was gonna say he, he yeah, also like, dropped a couple. Of, he dropped it along like, his hey, lines. Hey, James, James, check this one out. He drops a couple wheeze like yeah. in talking like as like talking about Metallica. Yeah, and, and I think I, the guys are like, wait a second. Like, again, and like you probably have watched the movie if you made it this far in this in this podcast. But if you haven't, I can't stress how not a member of Metallica. Phil the therapist is. <laughs> like, Newstead was right. Yeah, it is fucking lame and weak to, to give Phil this much power. However, and also forty thousand dollars a month that they're yeah. paying that they're paying Phil, which is 
insane. So Phil starts talking like, yeah, you know, I think he's based in Kansas City, I think, right? And he's like, yeah, you know, I think maybe uh, maybe we'll move the family out here to San Francisco. Like, yeah, let's put our house on the market. Yeah. And, and like, whoa. All of a sudden, they're like, we don't. Oh, my God. This guy thinks he's in Metallica. He's yeah. Like, Phil thinks he's he's a member of the band. I that, think I think with Phil, though, I, I, I feel like I'm way too apologetic for almost every character in this in this movie, which I really shouldn't be. But like. For, he might have been exactly what they needed, and like an alpha in the room would not have worked. Totally, like a yeah, like a, an aggressive personality and like a you know in your face kind of guy. Like they needed somebody to like break them down to this super cheesy level because in, inherently they're all cheesy people. Like they're yeah. they're all kind of surface level people. So like this guy that is looks like a deep thinker but really isn't. Is probably like exactly what they needed and not and didn't realize. Yeah, that's, Phil that's, saved the band. That's well said. Listen, he is he's one of he's one of us. You think he's more of a member of Metallica he's than one any of us. those guys? Even he's a member of No Laying Up as well. <laughs> um, okay, so we're at about day five hundred and fifty-four at this point. Like they keep flashing the days, which is which, which is, is good, awesome. Yeah. Good, uh, so you piece. just you you get lost in like just how long this this shit has been going on. Um, then we got Lars's weird art scene. Where Neil, can you explain kind of what happens there? Well, he's got like really crazy modern art all over his San Francisco apartment or house or you know humble abode, <laughs> far from humble. And it's aggro. It's cool art, honestly. But he just decides like, yeah, like every he says something like, and when whenever Lars is talking, he's always chewing gum violently and like looking up into the left. He's like searching for something. He's like. Yeah, you know, like whenever I got a big check, it's like instead of putting it in the bank, I just put it on my wall. And These so are my like, investments. Yeah, he like poured it in, and so then he takes all his art to Sotheby's, and he sells. He's probably made like fifteen million dollars, and this is while he's suing Napster. So he's like, <laughs> so all his fans are like, it's such a bad juxtaposition, or really good one by the filmmakers, filmmakers yeah. to be like. Here's this guy that just like has zero perspective. He's like, man, I'm getting nickel and dime by these fans. But like, I'm about to make fifteen million to get drunk at the Sotheby's auction. Um, so then they they get to the the album to actually like a pretty good point uh, where they're ready to start showing it to people. Yeah, our, our guy Cliff Cliff Bernstein, the manager, uh, who looks like he you know kind of like stock shelves at like the. Like a hippie grocery store. Yeah. His appearance Basically. did not match what I was picturing when I when you only hear him on the phone and you and you hear prior scene manager of the band Metallica. He yeah. shows up. He's got this unkempt beard and just looks very haggard, but awesome. They're playing the songs for him for the first time. This is again Metallica first album in however many years, and they're playing songs and they flash. They Cliff is looking at his watch while they're yeah. while they're playing the music, which is one of my one of my favorite shots. Uh, eventually, eventually they, they realize like, okay, we need to get a full-time bass player. So they have the bassist auditions, which is another one of the great scenes. So Randy, I know this was a category of yours that you wanted to talk about. I think, I think we should go through and quickly say, so they audition all these bassists. Like who, who are you, who was your favorite bassist? Maybe not who you think was the best because who knows, but who are you rooting for? 
I remember Rob. I was, I, yeah, I was gonna like, say, I got, I know you guys, you guys got deeper than I did into into the other candidates. It's not even close. Well, I kind of want to throw out my guy Twiggy Ramirez. Twiggy Ramirez, <laughs> that's the MVP of the show. Twiggy yeah. Ramirez, Twiggy Ramirez, who was who Marilyn Manson's Marilyn faces, Manson's faces. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I also want to shout out like the band names these guys are coming <laughs> so from. Robert so Robert Trujillo, who ends up getting the job, suicidal tendencies, <laughs> but better yet. Infectious grooves. <laughs> guy was starting pandemics all over the world. And you pointed out he he plays a low man. Oh, yeah. He but, plays the low. Well, dude, I was I was very drunk at a Christmas party recently and playing pool, and I had a pool cue and I was like starting to imitate how he plays the bass, like how and I like pulled my hamstring. I couldn't walk for like two days. It was not good. Twiggy Twiggy Ramirez. Is Twi- Twiggy hitter. though is the guy. On yeah. the note of, uh, of of funny names in this genre of music was uh, like when Mustaine and uh, original like eventually reconciled with Metallica in June in 2010. Uh, there was what was called the Big Four of thrash metal played their first concert together. It was Metallica, Megadeth. Slayer and Anthrax. Oh God! <laughs> Four band names. Dude, shout Good. out to Scott. Shout out to Scott Ian from Anthrax. <laughs> uh, so Robert Trujillo from Ozzy Osbourne, among others, as Neil mentioned, ends up getting the job. They ha- they make this big uh, performance out of this you is, know this is after Bob Rock says I don't think like you'll ever Rock. have a full time yeah Bob Rock kind of tries kind of tries to weasel his way in yeah it's end. like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like the the MTV, it's the MTV icon. Icon, yeah, yeah. The performance, so they need a bass player for for MTV icon, and so they offer uh, the job to Robert Trujillo. Lars tries to like sabotage him by taking him out until like four in the morning before his audition. I didn't know that part. Oh yeah, is that he, the like, movie? Yeah, he. I think right? it's in the. Um, there's a follow. up Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, there's yeah. a follow up thirty minute. Um, if you if you go into Netflix and watch this movie, there's a second part of it that's thirty minutes long. It's ten years after the film. And it kind of reviews it, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, I went out like we finished playing for the day, and Lars, you want to get a beer? It's like 11 p.m. Next thing I know, it's 5 a.m. and I'm getting home. I got one set of clothes. I got to like basically yeah. go to, straight to the studio in the morning. Like I got the worst headache, and I walk in there, and they're like, "Yeah, they offered offered me the job. I'm like I'm seeing stars still, and then like they want to go in and play after that. I'm like I can't even see straight. That's when, they, and then they make this big production out of you know." To show you we're serious, we'd like to offer you a million dollars right now. And but then they're very clear to be like, this is an advance. Yeah. You're going to pay us back. <laughs> uh, which I think I think Robert is, I, I said Kirk, but I think Robert's easily the most likable, the most yes, likable person sure. in this movie. The He's, easiest, but like also like, I, he just doesn't seem to have, be the best fit. The best fit in that he's like seeds way. He's not a... S- like egomaniac he, yes he gives away to the rest of the <laughs> yeah. group but like he doesn't scream like metallica yeah. at me which Except i don't, he's really good yes yeah. so good without a doubt so then uh we see the boys at the mtv icon where uh kirk is wearing that all white suit <laughs> <laughs> which is sweet continuing to push the envelope uh and then saint anger comes out uh it yep. is widely panned which obviously is not touched on in the movie but uh, Lars basically ends uh, ends the movie with, you know, it's so cool that you can make something that's angry and fucked up with positive energy. And then they end the movie. And I'm like, no, there no, was dude. no positive energy in this whole thing. All you guys did was scream at each other the entire time. Like, what a warped view of, of how this went. Well, I want to, we haven't talked that much. And that's about, the movie. Yeah. We haven't talked that much about Kirk. Uh, I kind of want to, 
the, he's the guy that I, I get the most, maybe not blown away with, but tried to like, when I watch him play, and I'm not a guitar, I don't know yeah. shit about playing the guitar, but I watch this and I'm like, like this is a like legend. Like, am oh, I right in totally. saying that? Like oh, in yeah. playing the guitar, like and they are non-existent without his he ability just, to play the guitar. Totally, he listen. He just made his money playing Mustaines. He stole Mustaines' <laughs> job. He stole Mustaines' job and his licks. Everything I do fucking backfired. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which like Megadeth is the second most popular. Yeah. It's sold fifty metal million copies. band of all time. So to your point, Sally, yes, hundred percent. Kirk gets basically like back down this entire movie. But he's also like an all-time talent. It's crazy, which leads me to a story that we heard from uh, someone in music who I don't know if they want to be named or not. But they basically were saying that a friend of you know, kind of like a friend of a friend situation. They were <laughs> this friend of a friend asked Kirk to play uh, <laughs> to play at their wedding. Which imagine having <laughs> Kirk Hammett play in your wedding band like that's crazy so he forms this band with a couple people and they title the band selective aloha <laughs> which first of all uh and uh, apparently the the logo for the band uh was a shaka but with the middle figure up <laughs> which is sick so this wedding band selective aloha gets formed and during the wedding uh you know kirk's wife goes up to whoever and and it's kind of like Hey, Kirk just wanted to thank you so much. He's just, he's never had this much control before in a band. He's never had this much artistic expression. And he's just, he's so delighted to be able to do this. And it's like, dude, you're fucking Kirk Hammett, man. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're literally in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame from Metallica. This is insane that this is kind of the situation you've been painted into. Which, again, Kind of for reference for non-music fans like myself, like Hetfield is also a ridiculously sick guitarist, yeah, right? And like, totally. is th- that's what makes the band go, right? Those two on the guitar. Yeah, I mean, I think it's James writing kind of like the driving, chord-driven kind of parts of the songs, and then Kirk does all the solos. So mm-hmm. it's like the solos are probably, probably, I don't know. I mean, it, whatever. It all works together, and you know, you don't have one without the other. But I think Kirk's solos are kind of more iconic almost than yeah and then the, the rest of it like i probably didn't do large justice earlier but like the way that he's able to he structures a lot of the songs right so he and he does like he's very uh he's like clever with the way that he plays the drums it's like he's not technically not the most talented drummer but it's like very catchy and it's it's very it all it's very organized uh and then that makes it sound like that much that makes the solo sound that much better which, because it's like it's like a it's like a tightly like when you see like a really well I remember when I was in high school and I used to see like some girl that sat next to me she'd like take really good notes like really like a really well outlined like man I wish my note looked looked like that it's like <laughs> I feel like that's how like Metallica's songs are like organized it's like God that looks good which if we're talking about like technical you said you know he's not the most technical but if we're looking at like guitarist. Is the ability to be a great guitarist, I know there's like a rhythm factor to it, but is it legitimately come down to your ability to move your fingers quickly and in sync? Like, it, it is the at the top, 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 top level, is the best guitarist better than the 20th best guitarist because of how fast he can move fingers? Mm, yes and no. I mean, I, yes, sort of, but also the way he writes music, yeah. I think. Is, it's a plateau. Is too. Yeah. It's like yeah. you get, like, it's drumming's the same thing. It's like, you gotta play fast enough to get into this club. Yeah, it's almost like all right, you pass you pass the smell test, like you're there. But then if you just play fast, but without any creativity, it's like oh well, you're just like you're just like Mark Wallers. You're throwing 
heat, but you can't locate. <laughs> Got them all over the place with sports metaphors. I love how everything comes back to pitching in baseball, yeah. which is yeah, yeah. All right, let's do a couple more categories and wrap this up. Uh, Please, let me say <laughs> you, you don't have to stay for the categories if you, if you get something to no, do. No, send it. Let's go. Uh, I want to start with what's the most cringeworthy moment of this of this thing. I think it's the Lars for me. It's the Lars after the Newstead. Actually, it's maybe the two fanboys in Newstead's band telling them that like, you know, Newstead bounced, or Lars not knowing the guys that work in the studio. <laughs> Randy, I think it's I think it's Hetfield in that stupid little hot rod car. Yeah, that's, that's pretty fair. rough. It's yeah. tough. Mine's probably most embarrassing. That's you, like cringe. Yeah. Maybe it's Hammett surfing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go Lars at the Lars at the art sale. Yeah, where he's just he's getting shit faced in the back room at the art sale. It's it's pretty tough to watch. I thought that was a good scene. Sorry, uh, but speaking of the art sale, he drops his drink at one point, <laughs> glass drink, and it yeah. just shatters on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> And That's then amazing. at the end, then they show him just like keep getting drunk and drunk. And, you know, he just sold his collection for like $5 million. And he's obviously stoked. And then he's like walking out of the Christie's. And they just show like the janitor sweeping up his broken <laughs> glass. I, I thought that was very good filmmaking. Sorry. No, so like, no, you're fine. My most cringeworthy. I kind of went a different route. Mine was like when, when James gets back from rehab and he's limited in hours yeah. to be worked. And like they... It's like clear that like these rock stars are like ready to get after it and want to work, but like they have to deal with like a very real human thing, and like they can't get on the same page yeah. as to like no, no like Imagine this is doctor prescribed like being right in the middle of a song. No, Bob Ross like, like no, sorry, we gotta Bob, stop. Bob's like yo, it's four fifteen. Like, are we allowed to listen to it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that part's so cringy. It's like oh, this guy's really dealing with something that I don't think a lot of people I, yeah. I can't relate to it and i don't no, know like totally. and so that was to me made me cringe the most of i don't know how what what the net what the right step would have been all right we we talk about the forgotten man a lot is so and so becoming the forgotten man who's who's the forgotten man in this movie this is an easy one for me jason newstead like yeah. he is a huge part of this band like, jason's the future jason yeah <laughs> metallica's the past but like he he left the band right before this this documentary or this documentary started but and you know they had a previous bassist who had who had died uh, cliff burton which we haven't really talked about and like which freaked me out in the rv yes dave mustaine dave mustaine was in the band for like two years like jason newstead i think was in the band like 14 years or something like that he might have been the ultimate like buy low sell high and yeah and, and like how important he was to the band and when they it always bothered me i don't know bothered is the right word but like, when they got the mtv icon and they, they somebody asked the question like what's jason's role in all this and the rest of the band's like what like he yeah. has no role in this yeah, kind of like crazy oh man he, was, they were very butthurt he helped get you guys there and it, it had to have taken so much bullshit to totally drive him away from it that is like man to be to go I don't know. It's easy to kind of throw 14 years out there like it's nothing. You know how many fucking shows yeah. you play yeah. in that period of time and like how like much music you create together and how much time you spend together and how many experiences you have to like be go- like literally the forgotten man yeah. in, this, in this situation. Neil? I think on our podcast, Bob Rocks, the forgotten man. Yeah. I think that That's guy, fair. that guy was like, he's a heavyweight <laughs> and he's got great lettuce. He's got great devil horns. And he's he he's, like, he's like also he's like the one guy that's like 
has the wherewithal and like the I think the least ego to be like God like okay they got this camera on me like sometimes James and Lars will get into it a little bit and be like I I listen guys if you want to keep pulling on that thread <laughs> like I don't want to interrupt but like I'd also like to just listen to the fucking song yeah <laughs> he he was a big glue guy yeah he was he was kind of he was kind of the true therapist yeah he really was he really was uh, Randall I was thinking Bob Rock so I think that's. I, I will agree with Neil. For me, it's 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 a pretty easy one. It's uh, uh it's it's either Torgan Ulrich, uh, <laughs> or it's uh, the radio DJ who's yes, who's yes. in there when they're listening to the oh, when they're listening to the first Jeff, cuts. Or it's something. It's such oh. a scene. It's like this San Francisco radio guy who's in there just telling them literally anything they want to hear. Yeah, he's like oh, all man, the whole this, time. This is awesome. I can't wait till there's a stadium full of people throwing the Metallica devil horns. <laughs> And Lars is just like, yeah, keep sucking. <laughs> that guy was that guy was sweet. Uh, all right, last question: who's who's the MVP? Who who takes home the uh, the hardware here, and and why? Twiggy Ramirez. <laughs> no, hold on. Can, do you know who the DJ is? I just no. looked him up. Crazy Cabby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's. Awesome. Um, I said Kirk. Kirk Hammett is the MVP. I think he's the MVP. Oh, I think he shines think. through as like just being a musician and only just wanting to fucking rock. From, yeah, from a Kurt Hammett also has fair. strong Derek Zoolander vibes. He does. <laughs> he does. But I would say Lars is the MVP because yeah. that documentary isn't any good unless that guy is so just stirring, stirring the pot. Sociopath. Yeah. That's why it's so interesting. It's like. How they're all interacting with this night, like this. Are you, dude? Are you serious? <laughs> and I bet the documentary was all his idea. Yeah, because you know it sure. wasn't Kirk's, and no, it exactly. really wasn't James's. I think he is. I think you're right. I think he is the one that kind of led the charge with their whole media presentation. From yeah, what I, from what I gathered. So, uh, I'm gonna go Hetfield. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll turn it around. I think he's like, I think you're I, good. Now, now I'm drunk, <laughs> and you're drunk. Let's party. He. uh he just he's the the most rock star of the group i think and yeah he's he's the most every time he's on screen you're just you're very you're glued to him yes i, I was gonna say i, I think look the part yeah my definition of mvp is the guy who comes off looking the best okay and i think it's jason newstead yeah i i <laughs> can yeah, get behind that problem. i can't get behind that because echo brain stinks <laughs> <laughs> but but he's it's it's he's Echo Brain. Echo Brain wasn't any good. Their concert fucking stuff. For sure. But it's it he's was doing stock. what he wants to do. It's his yeah. creative outlet. So I think it's stock. I, I think like he was miserable. He saw how fucking weak and lame it was to bring in <laughs> Phil. Metallica was still obviously very bitter and just so much shit going on there. And I think he was. That's the thing is, I feel like there was like two years of shit going on right before the documentary starts. That yeah. it, it kind of slips through everyone. Um, before we wrap it too too quickly, I, w- I want to refer people to a YouTube video, 1991, Metallica playing Inter Sandman in Moscow, in front of 500 thousand people <laughs> at like an Air Force base. It is. The wildest concert video I can ever imagine. There's a helicopter like going around. Like people died at this concert. Yeah. It is insane. This is like shortly after the Berlin Wall fell, and it is absolute mayhem. I've never seen any a like a. That's what like I wanted to dig into like Metallica history, and I went and searched yeah. for YouTube videos, and I found that one. I'm like, 
holy shit, there's so much that happens before this documentary that I didn't comprehend that is good context if you want to watch that before you watch the documentary, which if you made it this far and haven't watched it, (laughs) you're an idiot. But like, go back and watch some of that stuff because it's that's what like really sets the tone for how big of a deal these guys were. Your uh, late onset Metallica fanhood is is one of my favorite things of 2019 thus far. <laughs> you I can't commend you. No, that. I can't commend you enough for for going fully down the rabbit hole. Listen, I'm an open book. Anyone got anything else to uh, to get off their chest before we wrap? The Perfect Club, Metallica, some kind of monster. Lars has a great uh, drumming face. For yeah. sure. Yeah, he he's does. playing the yeah. drums. I love looking yeah. at his face. Yep. <laughs> All I can say is cheers to Caster. Che- hey, cheers. Hey, that's the best way to finish cheers. it. Cheers to Caster. Cheers. Nice is the spot for that track draw.